Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who is one of the most memorable catches in New York Mets history. He broke in with the Mets in 1965 and was part of what manager Casey Stengel lovingly called the Youth of America. Casey's expression for that was for the core of young players that would take the Mets from worst to first in four short years. Players like Cleon Jones, who will be joining us a little later, but Harrison Tug McGraw all debuted in that 1965 season. Just two full seasons later, he graced the cover of Sports Illustrated with the word slugger next to his name in the caption. He spent six years with the Mets and three more across town with the Yankees. It's a thrill to welcome back the man I am lucky enough to get to hang around with the next week at Met Fantasy Camp, Ron Swoboda oh, yeah. to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Ronnie. Are you ready I, for some I, baseball? Uh, Roddy, you, you <laughs> will not I, I, even I, recognize I, I, me, Roddy. I can, I can tell you how much, having tracked this all, <laughs> how ready Mark is. He's been, he's been trying. Well, you know. but, but it's not for you. He doesn't want to embarrass himself in front of his son. That's right. That, my son is playing really this year. Thing. So, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I always tell those guys, even back in the day when we were uh, the youth of America and we thought we were in pretty good shape, that first week of spring training was, was torture. You started hurting in places you didn't even know you had places. For some reason, you could not work yourself out as much as, as you got when you first got the spring training and you're stretching for balls and running and swinging the bat, you know, so much that you, you just stretched and pulled and hurt everything on you, man. It was worse. That's the worst week of baseball of your life in any season. Uh, it's unbelievable. So, you know, Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th this year, the Mets will be honoring the 50th anniversary of the 1969 world champion New York Mets. Yeah. AJ and I were just sitting here, and, and we can't believe it. Can you believe that it's been 50 years already? Well, time flies when you're having fun, and 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 I've been fortunate enough to have a little bit of fun. But, yeah, that, that's going to be so cool. There's still a few. Uh, there's still quite a few of us guys still around, and and uh, that'll be our chance to see everybody. You know, I I talk to Ed Cranepole. I see Cleon Jones a fair amount. He's a buddy from over in Mobile, and you know, you see the guys talk to Wayne Garrett, and 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 you know, you you catch fragments of that '69 team along the way at various affairs. This will be a chance for everybody to get together, and that's going to be good stuff. You know, it's interesting because next week you'll be at Fantasy Camp with a lot of guys like myself and A.J. who are in their 50s and 60s. All these years later, the mere sight or mention of that team instantly brings back a smile and floods of memories of that season. Why do you think of all the teams that you know, men in their 50s and 60s have seen? They've seen a lot of baseball since 1969, but yet that team just means so much to them. Well, you know, I've been looking at it pretty hard because, you know, I sold a memoir, my memoir of 1969 to St. Martin's Press. So there's a book on 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 that whole, you know, and a lot of other things in my life and in baseball, but mainly it's 1969 and the World Series and the catch. But but I so I looked at it hard. That 69 season, you know, they had a chance in the spring, the Mets did, to trade for Joe Torre uh, with, with the Atlanta Braves. And, 
and the Braves wanted to get deep into our good young pitching. You know, they wanted guys like McAndrew or Nolan Ryan or uh, Jim McAndrew or, you know, they, they wanted to get in there. Uh, Kuzman, they wanted to get hard into uh, the, our good young pitching for a really good player in Joe Torrey. Um, the Mets turned them down. And, and, and to me, what that said about the team was that they didn't think we were a move or so away from being relevant at that time. We were so young, so full of guys that hadn't done much uh, in the big leagues. And, and so we were blessed with a lot of good young arms. And I think the organization at the time was saying, hey, let's, let's, let's run this down the road a little bit and see, and see what we have. Because uh, we, we went to war with Rod Gasper, first time in the big leagues. Uh, Amos Otis was a first-time big leaguer on that team. We went, we went to war with a lot of young people um, in 1969. And then in June, something happened. The thing that happened, we, won an 11, we went on an 11-game win streak. And we all of a sudden, we're, we're five games over 500 and relevant. And, and, and uh, that's when they made the Don Clendenin deal. And when they made the Don Clendenin deal... It was a five-for-one trade with Montreal, who had picked up Clendenin from the Pirates in the expansion draft, and he uh, and and he was not happy there. And they tried to trade him to Houston, and he wasn't going to Houston. And he, we worked out a deal with him, and the only guy they got was Steve Renko, uh, and and you know he validated the trade with his career with Montreal. But Clendenin came over at the end of June, and gave us something that we didn't have, and that was some pop from the right side. He platooned with green pull at first base and, and really changed our lineup. You know, it's interesting so, because I went back and I looked at some articles about you early on in your career, and granted, no social media back then, no talk radio, no ESPN, so maybe the stories weren't as widely circulated, but I read an article from June of 1965 where reporters were asking you your reaction to, be, to being called the new Babe Ruth. So do you remember being <laughs> called that at age 21? And, and how much extra pressure does that put on you? Well, you know, uh, when my career was over, um, you know, um, Babe Ruth and I were both born in Baltimore. We both <laughs> played right field for the New York Yankees in old Yankee Stadium. And then the comparisons start to break down. Well, you're not uh, an orphan, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing. My first, my first half of 1965 playing for Casey Stengel, I hit 15 home runs. And I surprised myself and everybody else. Uh, you know, we were on that team because of something called the first year rule uh, that existed back before the draft. And, and, and what the first year rule was instituted for was to keep the owners uh, and the wealthy teams from buying up all the amateur talent with big bonuses. And, and, and what it meant was if you had played one year of organized professional baseball, there were only limited ways a team could protect you from getting drafted by another big league team after that first year. They could number one, designate you as the, key, as the guy they're protecting and send you to the minors, where they had to keep you on the big league roster. 
uh, the Mets had lost Paul Blair back in late in 64 in the winter because they didn't protect him. Uh, you know, Blair was only, you know, one of the top two or three center fielders in the game throughout his career um, with the Orioles. We saw him in the 69 series with the Yankees later on. He was great. They screwed up. They kept four of us on the big league roster just to protect us in 1965. So we all went to spring training. We didn't do a whole heck of a lot. We played a little bit, but none, none of us, none of us got a lot of exposure in the spring. They had already made up their minds that we were on that team and, and we were going to be protected by staying on the big league roster. So so, you know, us in uniform on opening day at Shea Stadium in 1965 was a total lark, you know, completely. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Ron Swoboda. That same season in 1965, May 23rd to be exact, in a game against the Cardinals in St. Louis, the Mets had a 7-2 lead in the ninth inning. Cardinals mount a comeback, and with the bases loaded, down Maxwell lifts a fly ball out to right field. You lose it in the sun. The ball gets by you. All three Cardinal runners score to tie the game at 7-7. <laughs> Casey lets you hit in the 10th. But do you recall what happened at the start of the bottom of the 10th inning? Well, um... That laugh tells I, me you do. <laughs> I know that we we lost the game in extra innings, but you know that was a day when when the um, when it rained, they had the tarp on two or three times, and and uh, um, uh, I didn't have my sunglasses on. Del Maxwell was hitting sub two hundred at the time, and and I'm in right field, and you know right about his at bat was when the sun finally came out, and I was thinking, you know. Hey, uh, I'll chance it, you know. And and of course, he hit the ball uh, right right where right right where I couldn't see it, right in the sun. And and I screwed up and let three runs in, and they tied the game up. And of course, I I got back, you know, I went back in the top of the tenth and and popped up the right field, made a quick out. We went three up and three down, and now we're going to give uh, the Cardinals a chance to win a game that we should have put in the bank. And, and, you know, back in those days, the helmets we wore had no ear flaps. They were made of fiberglass. And, and uh, mine happened to be when, when, when we, you know, when I went to head out to the outfield and, and let the Cardinals bat in the bottom of the tent, there's my helmet laying there, uh, of, you know, open side up. And I was raging at myself at the time. I'm, I've just screwed up this major league game. I didn't uh, do anything as a hitter to save it. And, and, and here's my helmet. And I, I vented a, a little, you know, uh, vented a little anger on the helmet. I stomped on it, and, and it cracked open a little bit enough to, to stick on my foot. And, you know, you have to remember, Casey Stengel was the manager. He had this big plaster cast on his right wrist from from a fall and 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 so uh, you know he's 74 years old at the time and 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 i'm up there dancing trying to get out of my helmet and get to the outfield <laughs> and he sees what i'm doing and casey came up the steps like he was you know 22 years old he bounced up there and he he grabbed me by the shirt with his good hand and he said damn it kid he said you know, when you miss that fly ball, he says, I didn't run in the clubhouse and throw your watch on the floor. He said, so I don't want you busting up this team's equipment because you popped up the right. You know, and, and he, you know, he, he, he was a little more angry than that. And I'm thinking, I'm standing there thinking, 
you know, I'm a rookie. I'm getting to play, and now I just screwed the whole deal up, and maybe my career with it. And and I'm thinking he's going to crack me right on top of the head with that with that plaster cast, and I'm standing on my helmet. I said, this is going all wrong. <laughs> and he he jerked me out of the game. I went downstairs the clubhouse in those days in old St. Louis, um, old Bush Stadium. This is old Bush Stadium. That's three stadiums back from uh, or two. Yeah, three stadiums back from where they're playing now. I went in the clubhouse, sat down all by myself, and I cried. <laughs> I, I was so upset, you know. I mean, I know Tom Hanks said there's no crying in baseball in, in a league of their own, but uh, there was then. And, 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 you know, I'm not ashamed of that. I played with emotion. I was, I've never been any good at anything that uh, I didn't invest my emotion in. So that's what happened. You know, for those people, and, and AJ is coming down to cover Fantasy yeah. Camp uh, while I play this year for part of the book we're writing. But, but for those, are who, you draftable? Should I look? For well, you? well, well, he comes as he comes as a package. Well, here, we, here, here's the rub, Ron. So, and my friends have already told me this. My 30 year old son is coming down with me, and he can flat out hit. So. I said he's old enough to play, right? And you're going to be a, a Quinella. Yeah, well, right. but that, here's that, the rub. That's about it. So yeah. the, I wouldn't the, call it the Daily Double. A the, Quinella. He, be here's the question: <laughs> Is he so good that he still makes the first round because, in spite of me, or am I so bad that he drops down to the second round? That, that's going to be well, the you're key. You're going to find out. Aren't exactly. You? <laughs> I'm going to find out next week. But for for those people who have never done fantasy camp, one of the highlights is the bus trip in the morning. And just listening to Ron and, and different <laughs> stories, and, and they're all—they're not yeah. all baseball related. Because Ron is an absolutely brilliant guy. But one of the the topics that really you can tell the, the admiration he has for Casey Stengel when he tells Casey Stengel stories. So I know you only played for him for that portion of the year, and they broke yeah. his hip, and then Wes Westrom came in. But what did yeah. Casey mean to you as a young player? Him being your first manager. Well, you know, Casey knew what he was doing. He knew what he was there for. He knew that expansion back then um, would, would, you know, would, would sort of uh, tarnish his legend a little bit because he took an expansion team back when expansion gave you very little in, in the way of talent. You know, a lot of uh, has-beens and never will be. And, you know, and he found that out in 1962 when they lost 120 games, which is still the gold standard for, you know, major league uh, ineptitude. And, and so he knew, he knew all about that by the time I showed up. I saw him first time in 1964. I got invited to spring training for a little bit and, and got to hang around Stengel. So I, I'd been around him a little bit in spring training in 64, my first year. And then 65, of course, we were in big league spring training. And, you know, I, I marveled at the guy. I, I thought the guy knew so much baseball. Um, and and he, he seemed to speak in parables. You know, he, his stories, if you listen to him, and he saw you listening to them, uh, all of a sudden the story had, uh, had, had, had some implications to things he was trying to get you uh, to work on and think about as a player, they 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 related to something or other. You know, the writers thought he was just babbling on and uh, trying not to answer a question he didn't want to answer. Some of that may be true, but but I thought Stengel knew 
knew what he was doing. Um, he was the perfect hire. He gave the writers so much to write about, uh, besides the fact that this was a team that wasn't going to win anything. And, and, and he kept them from turning on the franchise. And, and you know, um, to be around a guy who was a living, walking, breathing legend uh, uh, was, was pretty amazing uh, for me. As a, I was, you know, I was like 20 going on 21 in 1965. So there, there were stories back then. I'm I'm older than Mark, so I was. Uh, yes, you are. I, 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 yeah. I, I remember. I you know. And it I rem- shows. I, I remember the, the the first 1962. My first started following the mess. I remember back there were stories were written at the time about Casey, and that said, you know, basically he's he's too old. He would fall asleep in the dugout during games. Uh, yeah. Was any of yeah, was any of that, that true? Happened. <laughs> that happened. And hey, did, did, in the, if you were managing the Mets and you fell asleep in the dugout, what were you missing? <laughs> no, but seriously, he did. Yes, you're right. But but you know, he was the guy. He was the guy that could could find humor. Uh, writers have to cover this thing through 162 games, and if you had some guy there that took it too serious back when you couldn't beat yourself, um, you know, uh, you know, they couldn't win an inner squad game. You know, uh, you you. you you know, you needed somebody like Stengel. And, you know, in the, like I said, he knew he knew what was up. The Yankees fired him after all those great years. And they, and they made it clear it was because they thought he was too old to manage in the big leagues. And Stengel's line was perfect. He said, I'll never make the mistake of being 70 years old again. <laughs> yes. and, and, you know, because he understood what was he understood what was happening, and and uh, yeah, would he nod off on a warm day sitting in the dugout? You bet your life. And, and uh, but don't monkey with him, you know. Don't mess with him, and don't ever try to show him up because he came back from the uh, he came from those old days before penicillin. Well, those were real men in in baseball back then. Then the Mets have the bridge to Gil Hodges. It's West Westrom and then Salty Parker, but then. We get Gil Hodges, and I know the level of reverence steps up from Casey to you with Gil. What did Gil mean to you and the Mets? You know, I've probably um, of all the things that I messed up in terms of opportunity um, as a as as a player in the major league, my relationship with Hodges was probably the stupidest thing I ever did. We just didn't get along, and it was all on me. Um, I just had this problem with authority, and and I just seemed to be able to figure out uh, how to annoy this guy, who all he wanted you to do was act like a grown-up and and make your and be the ball player you could be, and 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 help them win ball games. If you got it done, if you were hot, you were in there. If you didn't hit. You sit, and 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 that really was what it was all about. And you know, I don't know. My, I, you know, I got to the big leagues uh, before I was ready. I was, um, you know, emotionally immature, and and really as a ball player, um, you, you know, artistically immature. Uh, there was a lot coming at me, and, and all of it was happening in New York, and I was enjoying the hell out of it. Don't get me wrong. But you know, I think you're. You know, I had I had had the best year of my 
in my third year, 1967, I hit 281. I went into spring training in 1968 with Bill Hodges, maybe thinking I knew a little more about the game and knew what I needed to do. And Hodges knew what he wanted us to do, and, and that was what was going to happen. And I think between me thinking I had uh, matured into this, you know, uh, uh, you know, solid major league player with a 281 season under my belt after, you know, hitting 220 or damn close to it, maybe I thought I knew a little more about it. And, and, and maybe I thought uh, I had a little better idea what I needed to do to get ready and what happened. And, and you know what? Um, I was wrong. Um, and and um, and I think it I think it rubbed me up against him the wrong way, and and um, we never really got it right. And and I, you know, I take all the responsibility for that because he had one of the sharpest minds. Um, the way he managed in 1969, how he handled us, the creative things he did when the game called for it. Uh, were astounding sometimes. And don't forget, he went to war with a bunch of young, unproven guys and a and, uh, bunch of young arms that hadn't done a whole lot in the major leagues. And, and, and he used guys in all kinds of ways looking, looking for the people who were getting it done. And, and, and he stayed agile, ahead of the game, um, never got behind what was going on uh, on the field. Uh, Pretty, pretty remarkable thing to witness um, in '69. I just wish I had, you know, figured it out um, a little better, a little sooner, and uh, and had a good, had a good, had a better relationship with him. So there's a story in Newsday today, and it's basically it's a typical January <laughs> dead of winter type story. Uh, Mark Herman, who's who's the writer, is a very good writer, experienced yes. baseball writer. Uh, talked several of your your teammates on the 69 Mets. Should Gil Hodges belong in the Hall of Fame? He talked to, to Kuzman, to Shamsky, to Brad Gaspar. I actually got to Tommy Lasorda also. And say, if you take a look at the body of work, not just as a first baseman, which is what the uh, the writers and the, the veterans right. committee looking at, but look that combined right. with what he did as a manager, both also in Washington right. before he came right. to the Mets. Do you Are you one of those people who believes mm -hmm. that the newly constituted Veterans Committee should give much more serious consideration to putting Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, th I think it's a no-brainer um, if you just add. You know, it, 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 it's remarkable to me that they can either only see you as a manager or only see you as a, as a, as a player um, and, and, not look, and not look at the entirety of what he meant to the game of baseball as a player, as a manager, um, I just think I just think the the simple thing to do is say, well, what did this guy bring to the party in these two very different roles? And 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 I think your answer is easy. Um, you know, and you know, I don't I don't understand the nuance of of, of you know of, of how you negotiate that system and who gets in and who doesn't get in. Um, and, and, you know, and now it, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty far down the road from when, when Gil, you know, was here on this earth uh, doing the things he did. Um, but you don't have to look too damn hard at, 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 the, at the 
statistics and, and his bearing as a player and, uh, and, and what he did as a manager in both, uh, in, you know, with, with the Senators and with the Mets. Yeah, he definitely. We we've had we've had shows just dedicated oh, to the fact that he yeah. belongs in the Hall of Fame. We're speaking with the 1969 World Champion, New York Met Ron Swoboda. You know, I know that you are a tremendous history buff. So you you know, uh, 1969. I'm I'm nine years old. AJ's a little older. So I, I don't know as a nine year old that I truly comprehended what that Met team meant to a nation. Because you take a look at what was going on in the country. 1969 had seen riots, the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy, the peak involvement in 68. No, no, I said 68 had seen the riots, the assassinations of Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, the peak of U.S. involvement in Vietnam. All right. How much of the day's events were brought into the locker room? And was the discussion amongst guys, you know, civil rights movement, you know, how much did you guys talk about that in the... In the I in think you'd be surprised um, um, uh, to, to... Look, everybody knew about the Vietnam War, but you would be surprised at, 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 um, at how insulated we were um, I write about this in my book in, in, in the sense that we were, like, we were like boys in the bubble. You know, you, you, you go to the airport, you get on a plane, it's the team plane. The, you get off the plane in, the, in a city on the road, it's the team bus. You go to the team hotel, you go to the ballpark, you get back on the team bus, it takes you back to the hotel. Um, you know, you catch your flight to the next city. You're, you're squired and lorded around. Your schedule is made for you. Um, you're, you know, you're in a sport that takes so much of your being that, that uh, yeah, you know about these other things, but you are so insulated from them, uh, I, I think, that um, uh, we didn't sit around the clubhouse talking about the merits of the Vietnam War, which I was very much against. Um, you know, New York was, you know, one of the, you know, one of the hotbeds of uh, liberal thinking. And, you know, we knew, we knew the Gulf of Tonkin had been uh, fabricated and that the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, domino theory was bogus. And, and you know, and, and uh, you know, I hung around with uh, Joel Oppenheimer, who was a um, liberal writer for the, uh, um, uh, Village Voice, and and you know I you know uh, these people these people understood it understood what a huge mistake it was for America uh, to get and involved and what it cost us in in blood and money um, you know so so I I never had you know I never had any illusions about that um, even though I went on USO tours uh, to to visit the troops. Uh, in 68 and 69, I, I, I went because those guys were drafted. You know, this isn't today's, uh, you know, all-volunteer force. These guys were lifted off the street. And if you couldn't find a, some kind of a deferment, uh, it, 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 you were stuck. And, and, and uh, you know, so, so that, that's why I went. These guys, these guys didn't volunteer uh, 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 to face death in Vietnam. Um, they didn't volunteer uh, to back that particular foreign policy. They were snatched uh, off the street. 
and sent to the war. So you have your book coming out in March called Here's the Catch. So um, It'll come out in, in June. Oh, June, uh, okay. Probably a soft open uh, in early June. But, yeah, well, you know, the other thing, you know, you had Woodstock. You had the man on the moon. Man on the moon, uh, right. You know, we had two two launches of the Apollo program, which was the most incredible, you know, vehicle you can imagine uh, that launched these guys uh, towards the moon. Uh, you know, here's a here's a multi-engine uh, a rocket ship, you know, booster, the Saturn V booster. That wouldn't have happened if we didn't uh, if we didn't have a former Nazi SS engineer named Werner von Braun. I mean, for crying out loud, this guy was hardcore Nazi, and and uh, and and he knew how to make multi-engine rocket ships. It was a you know, it it, it was a the, the same. It was the same basic engine as as the V2, but it was just more of them, bigger, larger, more developed. But but they were kerosene and oxygen rocket engines. I mean, you know, that was that was where that technology was. But the other thing to remember is the Saturn V booster never failed. You know, we've, we've seen some awful tragedies in the space program uh, along the way with the Challenger explosion uh, and, uh, and, you know, the people that were killed when it burned up in reentry. But uh, the Saturn V never failed. This is the beauty of, of Ron Soboda. You, I mean, right. you could say, yeah. you, of course, the, 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 breakfast with Ron Mets. is that, that. They used to say, men will walk on the moon before the Mets win the pennant. Right. <laughs> so, um, so, Ron, thank you on a couple you of You know notes. where we were? Where were you? We were in Montreal. <laughs> we couldn't get back to New York because yeah. the plane. You guys uh, watched it in the broken. airport, right? You we got, were in the airport. Yeah, yep. the, plane, the plane was broken, our caravel. <laughs> And 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 uh, that's how we watched uh, Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. And, and of course, the irony wasn't lost that we can't get from Montreal to New York, <laughs> and here's a guy taking a putting a footprint on the moon. <laughs> so, a couple of things, Ron. First of all, thanks for coming on tonight. It hey, you're welcome, guys. We, we, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, fantasy camp's going to be a gas. Um, uh, I'm all I'm all set. I'm. I'm uh, I'm, I'm, I'm full bore ready for some baseball. Awesome. And, and you'll appreciate the way we decorated the uh, studio tape because we also stream video. On the yeah. desk is the bring, leather. Bring that whip. Wait, wait. Bring that whip. Hold on. Is the leather c- cover to the menu from the dugout restaurant. <laughs> so you sure it was leather? <laughs> well, I'm not really. I, I was giving it a little credit. I'm not no, even sure. It's, 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 it's a fiber It might thing. be it's what they leather. call yeah, it's not even pleather. pleather. It's not even pleather, to be <laughs> yeah. truthful. But but also, you know, I, yeah. I told AJ before, I said, you will get to, to witness something next Sunday that might be the thrill of your sporting life, depending there on the time go. of the game, to watch Ron Swoboda watch a New Orleans Saints game. It is priceless. So oh. we will see you yeah. next week, Ronnie. We're looking forward to it. Great. Guys, nice being okay. with you. Y'all take care. Let's okay. See you Sunday. See you Ron week. Swoboda, Bye-bye. 1969 New York Mets. World champ, author of the forthcoming book, Here's the Catch.